0: Welcome to Authentically Me. This is your host, Megan Sines. My purpose is to bring you real, raw, and honest conversations to help uncover the vulnerability in all of you. New episodes every Monday, so leave the judgment at the door because it's time to get authentic. So today, we are going to be uncovering one of my favorite topics of all times, and these are the five love languages with a little bit of a surprise, and then we're going to talk about the fight languages as well. I think that love languages are extremely underrated, not just in romantic relationships, but also platonic. The five love languages are five different ways to express love on an emotional level, and generally... This is how you like to be loved and how you also give love. So from a trauma perspective, these are usually the languages that you didn't receive as a child. And they are of the following. Words of affirmation. You need someone to praise you and use their words, etc. So telling you how much they love you. An example would be, you look nice in that outfit. Number two is gifts. It's universal to give gifts as an expression of love You like thoughtful gifts and surprises every so often. So someone making something for you means a lot. Number three is acts of service. Doing something for the other person that you know they would like for you to do. Basically, actions speak louder than words. Number four is quality time. So giving them your undivided attention. That doesn't mean sitting on the couch watching TV together, someone else has your attention that way. This means you're looking at each other or you're taking a walk together. You're basically spending time talking to each other. Number five is physical touch. This is pretty self-explanatory, but you like affection, cuddles, kisses, hand-holding, and you like to feel connected to them in this way. Out of those five, The basic concept is that each of us have a primary love language, and if you don't speak someone's primary love language, then you could be speaking the other languages, and they still will not feel loved. But there is a surprise. Did you know that there is actually a sixth one that was just discovered, which is feeling known? This is when someone can really, truly know who you are in the inside and remembers the smallest details that you told them. So for example, let's say you're traveling on an airplane with your partner and they say like, here, honey, you can have the window seat. I know how much you love to watch the sunrise and the sunset. That would make you feel absolutely loved more than anything if this is your love language because your partner took the time to remember a small detail that you maybe told them once. How do you tell which ones are yours? Take the quiz in the link section below in my links and let me know what your love languages are. When I discovered these, I asked all my friends what their love languages are. I just think it's really important to make sure that my friends are being supportive in the way that I'm being supportive and it is life-changing, so I highly recommend it. So now that we have gone over those, we're going to start the fight languages. How many of you have heard of fight languages? And more importantly, do you know the fight language of your partner? So just like love languages, these are essential in your relationship and knowing how to communicate with the person you're with. Nobody talks about this in conflict and it really needs to be talked about more because the way we show up in arguments, aka our fight language, is actually this beautiful protective measure that we have in place for the inner wound that we are worried is going to be injured. So that's why knowing your fight language is so important because that gives us so much information about the wound inside of us that it's protecting. This is amazing information that you can use to help heal the wound inside of you. So number one is called righteousness, which is basically you taking a stand. These are the Facts, I have a basis to defend my argument. You have to come to me with the facts against my facts against cross examination. So it's attacking and having trouble taking responsibility for any sort of mistakes or having anybody kind of question your judgment. And then you take that on very, very personally. This is basically saying that the other person is wrong and not you. So you try to protect it as if it's someone else's fault. So it usually starts with sentences like, you did this, or you always do that, because you're thinking, if this would happen, or if this person would have done this, then this wouldn't have happened. You're basically putting, projecting your emotions onto other people. This usually happens when someone tries really hard not to make a mistake, and then they do, and then they're really hard on themselves. So people that have this tend to have such a severe inner reaction to themselves, When they do mess up, no matter how hard you could be on your partner, they are 10 times harder on themselves. So what it feels like on the receiving end of this is that you feel like you need to have a lot of justification or have to have this like impeccable argument. You have to have specific examples so that person can counter one by one. This is part of the like, if I prove I'm right about enough of these things, then it's not my fault mentality. Number two is evasive. These are the people who try to redirect you without you even knowing it. So it's the ones who think like there's not even a problem because you are the problem. I'm not the problem. So they're in the conflict, but whatever it's actually about, it is no longer about that. They have deflected it off to put the other person on the defense. A lot of people who are righteousness fall into this form to try and get out of an argument So this is basically them like rolling a grenade into the room, hoping that it'll blow up enough for them to just like walk away and that that makes them feel safe. So this could sound like, so I'm the asshole then I guess, or why don't you ever trust me or oh, it's all my fault. So to receive this fight language, you absolutely feel like you're on the defense. You're like, wait, no, that is not what I was saying at all. You're scrambling when someone is bringing this fight language towards you. Number three is withdrawal. This is people who are completely conflict diverse and don't like engaging in fights. So they tend to stay quiet and go inward until it's over. This gives someone a lot of power when they are feeling powerless. It's that parachute cord that you can pull where no more damage is going to happen because you've retreated. You've left the argument internally. This is also associated with disassociation with in trauma or flight. You've left. Receiving this is the absolute worst. You're having an argument, you're having a fight, and then suddenly the other person has just left the room and you're just stuck with all these feelings that you can't resolve with somebody else because they've walked away. Number four is victimhood or otherwise known as suppression than overexpression. This is when people keep all of their emotions in and then they have a huge meltdown when everything comes out all at once. So they believe that their feelings are not going to be heard or valued. They need you to really understand their emotions and they can't let it go until they feel like you do. This can sound like, but all I was trying to do was help. It's not my fault. Like really, really falling into that victimhood and just like not taking ownership for just not bringing it up and expressing it beforehand. On the receiving end, this may feel like that person is trying to put all of the blame on you because they are. <laughs> It makes your partner be the bad guy. Like if you're putting all the blame on your partner, then your partner is the bad guy now and not you. So you're basically saying like, you need to come to me now because you're the bad person and you need to resolve this and I'm not going to resolve this. And it just doesn't feel good for your partner. This comes from a childhood where your needs weren't important. You had to make your response really big in order for someone to take it seriously. Your emotions were never valid to the other people that were around until you got to a place where you were like in tears or like so upset, like basically making a big scene. And then someone was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? What's wrong? Number five is the fixer. They want to take responsibility for everybody's emotions. It's usually provoked by situations where the person isn't sure if the people around them are invested in having emotions resolved or the situation resolved. So the easiest thing they can think of to do is to step in and be like, no, it's okay. I think that you misunderstood this person and that's what she was trying to say. So to receive this, it doesn't feel the greatest. It feels like your partner doesn't trust you or they feel like you aren't as invested in things. It's somewhat belittling and minimalizing. It honestly takes your voice away from you. It's unsettling because like, you don't know where your partner stands. You don't know how they feel, They're just trying to placate everybody to keep everybody's emotions at a low level, which is valid because your partner is trying to make your feelings really small so that they can manage them. So the fixer, basically, you take your partner's feelings and you make them really, really small so that you can manage them yourself. But in turn, your partner, you're basically taking their voice away from them. Number six is free communication. This is the ultimate goal where people can stay calm, they can talk openly and freely, and hear both sides of the arguments. For free communication to work in a relationship, even tone and temperament is absolutely imperative. As people often learn to do when they're mediating, people who are free communicators don't necessarily avoid every problem, but they have the least trouble overcoming it and reaching a compromise or conclusion in which everyone feels their perspectives are heard and valued. Happy love and fighting. Thanks for joining me, and I cannot wait to see you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening. My goal is to always create a safe space to be vulnerable in, and if you benefited from this episode in any way, the best way to show your appreciation is by simply screenshotting this episode and sharing on your social media or with your team, or even better, drop me a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Don't forget, if you're looking for additional support, I love being a resource to you on Instagram at Heal with Megan. I can't wait to share space with you all again next week. Sending you all love and healing.